Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Sebro, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. While we await the final verdict of the 2020 presidential elections, Joe Biden has already started putting his cabinet together. Unlike previous administrations, where candidates were selected based on their qualifications or perceived qualifications, Joe Biden said his priority is to have an administration that looks like America. During the campaign, Jewish Democrats came to his defense and told us how pro-Israel Biden was, and he'll be better for Israel than Donald Trump. Even, even if it was true that Joe Biden himself was a big fan of Israel, none of his Jewish supporters even considered who his team and advisors would be. They didn't care that J Street would be involved or any influence from Linda Sarsour, the squad, or the Islamists who voted for Biden, expecting a return on their investment. The ZOA and others put out a report on Biden's nominees, including Neera Tanden, former president of Center for American Progress, an organization that Alan Dershowitz once labeled as the David Duke of the left, and Rima Doden, a Palestinian-American affiliated with CARE, who, while at the University of Berkeley, organized anti-Israel rallies. But today, our returning guest and good friend from Israel, Barry Shaw, uh, who, Bear, who uh, Bela will give an introduction to shortly, has done ex- exhaustive research into these cabinet nominees, and he will share them with us shortly. Bela, I know you had a few thoughts before you. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, U.S.-Israel relations has always been important to Israel, and the United States has always been an ally and good friend to Israel. In fact, the United States was the first country to recognize Israel as a state in 1948 and the first to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel in 2017. Israel and the United States have a long-standing good history that is bound not only by mutual interests, but cultural ties too. It is no secret that during the elections, Israel was rooting for Donald Trump, and now Joe Biden is at the point of selecting foreign policy appointees. So at this point, Israel has a lot to say on the matter, and today, the definitive rep is honored to welcome our esteemed guest, Barry Shaw from Israel. Barry is a senior fellow at the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies. He regularly contributes to various media outlets, including the Jerusalem Post, and a frequent speaker at conferences and pro-Israel advocacy events. Barry has been a staunch defender of Israel in the public diplomacy arena for decades and has initiated the creation of several pro-Israel grassroots groups. He has a following of tens of thousands of people globally, including me, (laughs) and is the author of three books, Israel Reclaiming the Narrative, Fighting Hamas, BDS, and Anti-Semitism, and his most recent book, 
BDS for Idiots, which employs ridicule as the new method of countering BDS activists and renouncing their slander against Israel with facts and humor. You will hear it right here on this podcast, an Israeli assessment revealing who has Biden selected for foreign policy, how it has come to be, and the biggest question, why were they selected? Barry, we are incredibly honored to welcome you again to our show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for me. joining us. And, you know, I, I, I'd like to ask you, you have researched the background of Biden's picks for key positions, particularly foreign policymakers and the effect on Israel based on who they are and their past track record. The concern, of course, is the potential strategic outcome for Israel in the Middle East, right? Particularly yep. the projected impact on Israel-U.S. relations and the Middle East and the world. Barry, please educate our listening audience. Okay, thanks, Mila. Thanks for having me, you and uh, Alan. Happy to be here. And it's very important that I give your listeners uh, some information of what the future holds for Israel and the wider world under a, uh, a Biden administration. So I would warn your listeners to buckle up because I'm going to give some intense detail here. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride. Right. It's going to be a wild ride, everybody. <laughs> All right. So uh, before I start, I, we, we started doing this research because it's beholden of us of Israel Institute of Strategic Studies to understand for Israel's national security and strategic affairs interests of what the future is going to look like under uh, President Biden. And uh, we looked at and examined some of the uh, picks, not only for foreign policy, but in other things, which shows the lie of the land. So let me just give you a rundown of some of the runners and riders that uh, Biden has, has mentioned. <clears throat> People like Anthony Blinken, who happened to be a deputy secretary of state under Obama. In fact, let me go through the list, and you'll find that all these people have a very, very close Barack Obama link. John Kerry, who, of course, was secretary of state. Janet Lennon. Alessandro Mahorkas was also a, uh, a Homeland Security deputy under that. Averill Haines was the deputy director of the CIA under Obama. Jake Sullivan had a position on, uh, under uh, uh, Obama. So basically, oh, also, let's not forget Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who will be the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Brian Diesel under Obama. Basically, the first thing we came to was what we have here is Team Obama is back in power and directing uh, uh, America in his direction. The like a third term, huh? The Biden administration will be, in fact, a de facto Obama third term with his holdovers filling Biden's top positions. And um, here's another fact. Um, you know that you also heard of Trump talking he was there to fight the Washington swamp. Okay? So Biden's top picks are all picked with top executives from a global strategic consultancy company called West Exec Advisors. Your listeners should go online after this uh, recording. Look for West Exec Advisors. Go to their website. Anthony Blinken has been selected to be the new Secretary of State, in other words, America's foreign minister. Anthony Blinken was the founder of West Exec Advisors. Uh, West Exec Advisors call themselves strategic consultants. Now, I don't know if you remember, but Joe Biden once said that lobbyists are not bad people. 
special interest groups are not bad people, but they are corrosive. So it seems he's ignoring his own advice and he's surrounding himself with strategic consultants who are basically doing the same things as special interest groups, but they're higher up the greasy pole. And this is where it gets more sinister or important, if you want to put it this way. These people have more intimate access to the president and the vice president and the secretaries of state and all the minister, top of the ministries over there in America uh, as representing West Executive Advisors. Um, and they make policy, including foreign policy, while promoting the interests of those who finance the politicians, global corporations, big tech, big pharma, even foreign governments. And here is the evidence. When you go to their website, it says... West Exec is named after West Executive Avenue, which is the closed street that runs between the White House and the Eisenhower Executive Offices. I, again, I invite you to go to their website, and they're, they're bragging about it. They say it is quite literally the road to the Situation Room, and it's the road everyone associated with West Exec Advisors has crossed many times en route to the meetings of the highest national security consequence. For us, West Exec conveys our shared commitment to our country, to each other, and to our clients. Notice they talk about clients, not the American people. If you go onto the website, you can see the map. And they also talk about from the situation room to the boardroom. And one of the pictures they have on their website, you will see Anthony Blinken sitting in the situation room with President Barack Obama. And they go on to say on their website, we are a diverse view group of senior national security professionals with the most recent experience at the highest level of the United States government with deep knowledge and networks in the fields of defense, foreign policy, intelligence, cybersecurity, international economics, and strategic communications. Our team has worked together around the White House situation table, deliberating and deciding on national foreign and national security policies. Collectively, we have unparalleled perspective to help our clients manage risk and achieve their goals. So people like Blinken and others are going to go from a strategic consultancy organization together who have contacts with the big tech, global organizations, globalization, national com in order to manage risk and achieve their goals. So you really have to ask, who do they really represent? the global governments, globalization, corporate interests, or the interests of the American people. So that's basically what you're, what you're getting, what Trump was hitting at as the swamp. Basically, the swamp is coming back. So let's come to why Israel should be interested in this. And let's take a look at Anthony Blinken, as U.S. Secretary of State. He's the guy who will be setting in the main American foreign policy. And unless Biden surprises us as being a dominant uh, deciding force like uh, Trump was, but it's not very likely. He's always been a, a follower rather than a leader. So let's listen to what Robert Gates once said. 
He said that Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every foreign policy issue. Well, if that was true then, it must apply also to Blinken, because Blinken was Deputy Secretary of State under Barack Obama. So <laughs> perhaps he's saying that even Blinken has been wrong on every foreign policy issue. So let's take a look at them under Blinken. Uh, when I check up on Blinken, when he was Deputy Secretary of State, he won main issue. It was like his, uh, his, he repeated the slogan about human rights and, uh, and things like this. He was very much for human rights globally. So let's look a look at how his human rights worked out and how his foreign policy in start, let's say, with Libya. Under the Obama and with uh, Hillary Clinton as uh, Secretary of State and Blinken as, as Deputy Secretary of State, they had a policy of getting rid of uh, Muammar Gaddafi based on his human rights record. And you've got to remember at the time that Gaddafi had actually given up on his nuclear ambition and he was putting out feelers to the West, especially to America, to then become into the, the world in order to help his country. But they started to bomb Libya, and they wanted to depose uh, Gaddafi. And one of the results of that, basically, is Gaddafi was killed by uh, a mob, and uh, Libya turned into a warring hellhole with competing Islamic terror groups. So now we come, for instance, to Benghazi and the murder of Ambassador Stevens. And they lied. You know how they lied? They basically blamed his death or gave his death to the cause of human rights. Why? Because if you remember, Obama sent Susan Rice onto all the airways and saying that Obama, uh, Ambassador Stevens was killed by a protest. People, mm -hmm. Libyans angry at an amateur video that insulted Islam. Total nonsense to deflect from the utter failure. We all know that Stevens and his security team were murdered by Islamic terrorists who had targeted them down there as well. And Don't you remember that the creator of the video himself was arrested in America for making that video. And sent to prison so he would be silenced. Right. Exactly. Uh, so he couldn't come out. You know, it's sort of like a lot of the, the silencing, the censoring we've seen recently is going on there. The Arab Spring. Let's talk about, for instance, the Arab Spring. You remember that? It started as a protest where sex across the top of North Africa and came into Egypt. Started off in Egypt with a protest of the students in Tahrir Square. But it was really very quickly taken out by the Muslim Brotherhood, who have the muscle, who have the might, and they orchestrated the protests. And they orchestrated the protests. You know why? Because I found a coincidence with this. They led the mob in order to uh, bring down the government of, um, of uh, Mubarak. And you know the way they did it? Who did they target first? They targeted the police. It's sort of echoes going on here to what happened in your country, America, in the summer, where there were protests, which was taken over by radical leftists, by Black Lives Matter and by Antifa and other, or who did they protest, who did they target at the end of the day, together with Democrat governors and mayors? The police. This was happened, that's the playbook they had from what they, what Blinken would have called the Arab Spring in Egypt. The result of that 
was the Muslim Brotherhood deposed and arrested uh, Mubarak and put him in prison. And instead of being sensitive to human rights, they were actually oppressing the people and oppressing and jailing, torturing and jailing any opposition. And that was before the Egyptian army rose up under General Sisi and with the enthusiasm of the people, deposed the Muslim Brotherhood from power. And you'll remember that, that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton supported the Muslim Brotherhood and Israel and their allies could not understand what the Obama administration could possibly have been thinking to allow them to take over Egypt. Uh, we called it, you know, uh, we, I remember being at uh, various conferences at the time where we were, suggest- uh, we were uh, representing things like strategic affairs, others were doing national security, and we were telling our European and American colleagues, you've got your season wrong. This isn't the Arab Spring. This is the start of the Islamic winter. If you allow people like the Muslim Brotherhood to take over Egypt on our southern border, what's going to happen elsewhere around the, the Middle East? And you no. saw that, of course, with the rise of ISIS and, uh, again, the deterioration of Libya, which is a warring hellhole even today. Basically, as I said, they got the seasons wrong in the Middle East. You don't start with uh, human rights. You, first of all, bring in democratic governments if you can, and that only then can human rights take to the fore. But let's take it another stage forward over another border with Israel, Syria. If you remember, Alan, you were talking, Obama's red lines in the sand over Assad's chemical weapon attack on his own citizens. You would think that would be a human rights issue, quite right to do so. So what happened after Assad then challenged Obama and barrel-bombed uh, uh, more Syrian uh, civilians, including a lot of Palestinians, because one of the targets was a Palestinian refugee camp in Syria. What did Obama do? What Nothing. did Blinken do? Nothing. Nothing. So much for civi- human rights for the Syrians. But it, that it, was compromised, a- it compromised Obama's own credibility as far as drawing red lines, as far as dealing with dictators. He basically said to the world, we will issue a red line, which is meaningless. And it was the greatest message to all dictators that America will not back anybody. Um, they, will, they, will not, they will not confront any dictator or murderer um, to get us involved in another war. So our credibility was completely shot after that. You know, I just want to go back. Um, I was just uh, thinking about this before when we were talking about um, uh, Rice. Uh, she wrote a book t- uh, called uh, Tough Love. And in the book, uh, she, I recall that she said that, um, that uh, Israel is the focus of outsized attention in the UN, most of it unfair and excessively negative. And I just, I just remembered that. Uh, actually... I don't usually agree with much that Susan Rice says, but she's right, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a good one, huh? <laughs> but uh, if we carry on with Blinken, right. his record in foreign policy surrounding uh, Israel, let me let move it again to Saudi Arabia and Yemen. And I wouldn't think I would be on your program and actually be speaking up on behalf of Saudi Arabia, but here I am. Lincoln was wrong to criticize Saudi Arabia's involvement in Yemen. He was doing it again, you know, when, it, when Saudi Arabia uh, bombed the uh, is Iranian proxies in Yemen, he called it a human rights crime. Uh, this is where he's wrong again. 
Uh, he wasn't aware that the Iranian proxies were really trying to take over the country. He claimed that Saudi Arabia was committing human rights crimes by going after the Iranian Shiite Houthi proxy uh, that has deposed, by the way, the Yemeni president. And rockets had been fired from uh, Yemen into Saudi Arabia from Yemen's northern border. Uh, also, by the way, Hezbollah is actively supporting the Houthis, as is Al-Qaeda. Uh, one of the things that uh, Blinken has to make himself aware about, he should get off Saudi Arabia's back and really start, uh, if he's going to start negotiating to Iran, I'll come to Iran in a minute. This is one of the, pre the prerequisites that he has to do, putting the nuclear issue aside and really address the uh, extension of the Iranian hegemony across the Middle East, which we'll talk to in a minute. But putting it this way, if Iran takes over Yemen, this endangers all shipping going up into the Red Sea, which, of course, would affect shipping going to Saudi Arabia ports, going into Jordanian ports, and also going into the Israeli port of Eilat. Oh. So, you know, if you want to schmooze Iran again, this could be one of the dangerous uh, confrontations here in the Middle East. So quite frankly, on this issue, Israel does stand shoulder to shoulder with Saudi Arabia. Right. Now, now we come on to the Iranian nuclear deal. You know, Blinken has been wrong on that. Blinken has been wrong on China. And he applies human rights, you'll find, to the Middle East. But he never applies it to Iran. He's never really acted up when he's, if he's going to be in negotiations or others have been in negotiations, like his boss at the time in the Secretary of State, John Kerry, who was schmoozing up the Iranians rather than demanding human rights for the Iranians. And you will never hear Blinken talk about human rights when it comes to addressing China because they will be taking the softer approach because, of course, because of his connections with globalization, major corporations, foreign governments or whatever. Financial so ties. So to the Obama uh, uh, drawing board when it comes to, uh, to, to China. So over Iran, Blinken has said that he wants to be united with our partners instead of isolated from them. Basically, what he means by his partners, he's talking about mainly the Europeans and with the EU who are desperate to resume lucrative deals with Iran. Remember that. They want to get into bed with Iran right now and have their corporations make deal with Iran and open up there so much for sanctions. Of course, the money that would go to Iran for this, of course, would be to carry on rearming their proxies like Hezbollah and the Hutu right. and uh, further entrenchment into Syria and other places. So Blinken, as part of the Obama-Biden foreign policy, has been wrong on Israel and the Palestinian problem. My concern here that if Biden's foreign policy has to tear down Trump's legacy, it has to tear down his foreign policy achievements, particularly in the Middle East and Iran, which directly affect uh, Israel. Well, you know, Biden must rejoin Iran, as you said, because that was one of Trump's biggest accomplishments. And the only way to, uh, to discredit Donald Trump in this arena is to go back full in. It isn't even to reapply or even make it stronger. He has to completely undo what Donald Trump has done with Iran. And right now, Iran is, is strangled. <clears throat> Their economy is in the toilet, as you pointed out. And we have never had a stronger um, finger in their eye to bring them down than we do now. 
and Biden and Blinken is also on the record saying they want to get back into this. So this will completely uh, change the face of everything that's been accomplished with Israel, with the Gulf states, with Saudi Arabia. Well, you know, part of my research as well uh, into Anthony Blinken, and I hate to put it this way, but I want to point out to you, Alan, a couple of lies, lies from Anthony Blinken. When he was on CNN, in 2016, he was asked about the Iran deal and the pallets of cash that had been flown to Tehran, okay? And he claimed that the deal made America and many countries around the world safer. Of course. Right? Safer? I know that Israel doesn't agree with that at all. We're battling Iran right now or across three borders right now. A week doesn't go by without Israel having to bomb or destroy an Iranian forward base in Syria or a new supply coming by air for the Hezbollah or whoever fighters they've got in, in Syria or even the, the Iranian Republican guards who are there right now. Uh, and what we're finding is an increasing amount of new arrivals of sophisticated and more precise missiles right now. This was, of course, paid for by the $150 billion that uh, the Obama administration gave to uh, Iran. I know that the Sunni Arab states don't agree with Blinken as he continues to be threatened by Iran as well. Uh, and when he gets to Saudi Arabia, he's going to be told a thing or two about Iran's challenge to the Saudi kingdom. Blinken also forgot, by the way, about the 10 American sailors who were captured by the Iranian Navy. Do you remember that? In January of 2016. Yeah, I don't course. think they felt yeah. safe after Biden and uh, uh, Obama had delivered all the cash to Tehran. And his second lie was when he told CNN that the overwhelming amount of $150 billion went into the Iranian economy. That was a lie. Just ask the Iranian people who are suffering now. Did they get any, any of this $150 billion? You know where the $150 billion went? It went instead to manufacturing their advanced weapons and their supply to Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Houthis. It went into developing even their underground nuclear facilities at Fordo and at Natanz and the installation of superior centrifuges for spinning uranium. For what? For a nuclear bomb. That's where the money went into. They needed the development of their nuclear weapons. It went into training and deployment of their Republican Guard militia and sending them to the Middle East to fight alongside Assad and ISIS in Syria. It was thanks goodness to President Trump that he managed to wipe out Soleimani. We don't know who wiped out the nuclear scientists, the Frankenstein, the other day. In, in Tehran as well. But people in American administration or past American were saying whoever did it was a criminal act. A criminal act. Why? Because they said this man was a civilian. This man was a Dr. Strangelove, a monster. It took Hitler six years to kill six million Jews. This guy that was removed by some remote machine gun or whatever the Iranians blamed it on, right, was preparing two, at least two nuclear bombs which would destroy or kill nine million Jews within a fraction of a second. Oh, frightening. And yet people like Brennan and even Ben Rhodes, who used to be in the Obama White House, said it was a criminal act. This is the way that you see foreign policy over there through the prism of human rights. Yeah. 
that a madman who is serving the mad mullahs of Iran is working on the ultimate weapon to be first of all targeted on us as a criminal act. I would then say to, to people like Brennan and Ben Rhodes and the others, what about all the terrorists you have killed in America with drones because they were in civilian uniform? Whether it's the, people, the, the terrorists, the Taliban in Afghanistan, or whether it's ISIS or anybody else you went after because they wore civilian uniforms, they're not soldiers, therefore it's a criminal act. Where if I'm applying the same logic on, the, on people that used to be in power who may be having some sort of influence still on a new Biden administration. The misthinking of these people is dangerous and it's tragic. Uh, Barry, I want to circle back uh, to before 2008, before Obama's term. Uh, the American people were not so divided and outspoken against Israel on behalf of Israel's enemies. Do you think that was his intention as, as what's going on right now, where, where there's, there's so much division? Uh, well, you could say it's part of the fundamentally, uh, fundamental changes that came across America because the influence of more of the left wing that have been coming out of your campuses over there, universities in America, who I call uh, not actually academia, I call it more the industry of lies, where in fact the uh, people have been taking courses by radical professors and lecturers and going out into the world and seeing the, uh, it, and taking positions of influence and opinion making. And the opinion that came in there looking at is the old Marxist one of the three dangers of the world are imperialism, colonialism and capitalism, right? All those three things wrapped up together, you could then say, well, the, the major perpetrators of the world of these three things are, for instance, uh, the American imperialism, the Jews with their love of money, and Israel as a forward base of American foreign policy. And everybody who's in their wake has to be the poor victims who are suffering and have to be supported. Barry, um, we know recently uh, in France, Macron said that they were going to have uh, a much bigger crackdown now on Islamists in their country. Do you see them or some of the other European countries running back as much as they all had a distaste for Trump's style? Um, do you think that they're going to run back as enthusiastically as Blinken and Biden are talking about doing right now? Well, what we're, what we're seeing in, in, in Europe, uh, one of the friends of mine is uh, Dr. Mordechai Kedar, Mordechai Kedar, and a, a, a student of Islamism or whatever at uh, Barilan University. And one of the things he taught me was that um, when, for instance, you say people come from, uh, from the Middle East into Europe, I'm talking Europe because you talk about France and Germany and other places, Italy, and they're suffering from... Uh, the Islamism that's brought over there and the result of terrorism that you see constantly exploding around Europe in various places. And to use an expression that uh, Dr. Kedar tells me, you have to understand, because he understands the, the mindset of the Middle East, people don't leave Europe, uh, don't leave the Middle East for Europe, they bring the Middle East into Europe, right? right. And uh, you see it all the time. 
you see it also proselyting for, for Islam going on on the streets. I was in, uh, before the lockdown a year, just over a year ago, I was in London uh, walking along Oxford Street and I saw two guys talking to a, a very pleasant English woman. They're having a nice chat and uh, I heard them talking and I said to my wife and another couple, you know what's going on here. It's called Dawa, D-A-W-A. Go out and persuade people uh, to convert to Islam. They do it with the nicely in conversion, but those who won't do conversion will be met with the sword. It's either by the book, the Quran, or the sword. Uh, so it's basically you've exported the Middle East into Europe and they're feeling the effect. This is why both, not just France, but also in, in Germany and also in Britain, they've recently had their terror attacks, also Islamic terror attacks. And it's almost like a knee-jerk uh, thing when you hear Breaking news from uh, wherever, Paris or, or Berlin or anywhere, London, uh, terror attack, uh, knifing or explosion, automatically you think, oh, that has to be an Islamic terror. That doesn't make me Islamophobic. It makes me knowledgeable of where it's coming from. Of course, of course. Barry, we're running out of time and there's so much more to talk about. But tell us what we can do, because, you know, Jews are very proactive. But what can we, as American Jews, do? Well, the problem is, it depends if, if you're uh, correct the thinking or right-thinking uh, American Jew or uh, well, left-thinking American Jew. Right-thinking. <laughs> because, uh, sadly, I want to tell you, there's another group in America that's also now finding itself uh, very close to the Biden administration, a group for foreign policy for America. And um, I'll sprint through some of the people. One of the people who was involved was actually Averill Haynes, who is going to be Biden's uh, CIA chief. I don't know if you know this, but she linked up with other people on the advisory board who sent out a public letter this year, right, urging the Democratic Party to adopt a more pro-Palestinian language in its platform. That's the new head of the CIA. And surprisingly and shockingly, Bila, I have to tell you that one of the Jeremy Ben-Ami, the head of J Street, is one of the 12 board of directors of Foreign Policy for America. J Street, for any of your listeners or viewers who, 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 listeners who don't know this, is a Jewish group that has one overriding policy, to push for the creation of a Palestinian state. Yeah. Barry, thank you so much. We are running out of time, and there's so much more to say. And you're coming back to us again. It, it's, <laughs> it's not I'm, even a question. You know, we, not, we are insisting upon it. You have um, to get, have me back. I'm only halfway through. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, thank you again for joining. And Barry, wishing you and our audience a very, very happy Hanukkah. And may we see many miracles. Thank you for joining us on behalf of Alan and myself. Have a wonderful day. And again, a most joyous holiday. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.